Most of you, if not all of you, know that the phrase, the end, can have two very different meanings. On the one hand, uh, the end can mean finished, end of story, it's over. But on the other hand, the end can mean goal or purpose. So here's a little illustration for us. Let's say that after the new organ is installed, which will hopefully be soon, someone comes into the church with an axe and they destroy the organ, destroy the console and destroy uh, all the different parts of the organ. Maybe Usak has said something to upset them, or probably Jerry. And this is, <laughs> this is how they enact their revenge. So they smash the organ, and we would all be sad, and we would say, that's the end of the organ. It's finished. No one will play that organ again. It is the end of the organ. That's one way you can use the phrase, the end. The other way to use this phrase would be when Usog plays his first organ concert on the organ next year. And let's say in this concert he plays the most beautiful music on the organ. We are raptured. We are overcome by the splendor of the music in the organ. And we would say, that is the end for which the organ was made. That is its goal or its purpose. That's its end. So in one sense, the end means finished. But in the other sense, it means fulfilled. Now, I thought of this because it seemed to me as helpful as we look at our reading, our first reading from Isaiah this morning. Today, the prophet Isaiah proclaims a promise to us. And on one hand, he tells us that God is going to do a new thing. God is going to create a new world, a new future for us. The old world is finished. It has ended. And yet, yet while it is new, it will not be foreign to us. In fact, this new world, it will be what this world was meant to be. It will be the fulfillment of this world. It will be the end for which this world was made. This is how the reading starts. God says through the prophet Isaiah, For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I'm about to create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered. Now, these are the very same words that we find in Revelation 21 at the end of the Bible. It's the same promise that God will do something new. T.S. Eliot, he has some wonderful lines where he speaks about Christ and the promise of this newness. He says of Christ, You bring news of a door that opens at the end of a corridor, sunlight and singing, when I had felt sure that every corridor only led to another or to a blank wall. It's the promise that there is a door and not a 
blank wall at the end of the corridor. And that through this door, there is sunlight and singing. And God says again through the prophet that when we step through this door into this new age, when we step across that threshold, former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And we might ask, well, what are those former things? What's he talking about? And the former things in this passage are all those things that cause distress or weeping or humiliation and anguish. Those things will no longer come to mind. And, And we know why this must be the case. If there is to be sunlight and singing, all of, the, all of those things that, that rob us of our joy, that disturb us, that we've experienced in the past, they must be taken away. The memory of them must be taken away. I remember early on in my time as a priest, I was uh, sitting in my office talking with a mother, and she was sharing to me about the loss of her uh, little baby boy. Uh, her son had died almost a decade before, but she shared how she just could not shake the grief. And she described her grief as like a great big wool coat, this, this, this heavy wool coat that she could not take off. Everywhere she went, she felt it. Our anguish is like that. It never fully leaves us. But God says in this new world, those things that rob us of our joy, they will not be remembered. It will be like a nightmare from which you awake, and you can't for the life of you remember the details of the nightmare. One commentator says that when we enter that age, we will suffer a kind of amnesia. The new age will be of such splendor and grandeur that it will either consume all our past anguish and distress, or we will knit it into a grand scheme that makes everything all right. You know, Jesus, He speaks of a similar kind of forgetfulness. You may remember on the night that He was betrayed, He says to His disciples, you will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. Uh, And the metaphor he uses is a woman in childbirth. He says, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, but when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish. He says, you'll have pain now, but you'll see me again, and your hearts will rejoice in no one. No one will take that joy from you. You see, this, this promise, it is, a, it is a great promise. I think, we, I think we underestimate this promise. This is a God-given promise that at the end of the corridor, there is a door that opens, sunlight and, and singing, and a new world that God creates for us. It's new. The old world with all of its hurt, it is finished. It has ended. And yet, 
Yet, as we said, it is also a fulfilled world. It's new, but it's not foreign. It's not a world that we don't understand. It's not us hanging out up in the clouds. No, this, this world, it is in fact the fulfillment of this age. It is what this world was meant to be, the world that God created us for. Look at how God describes this world in the prophecy. God says, For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant that lives but a few days or an old person that does not live out a lifetime. And God says, They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring by the Lord. You see, this is a depiction of life, life that has reached its goal. And the the chief quality of this life in in this new world, it's joy, it's delight. God delighting in us, we delighting in Him, in all of us delighting in one another. It's joy. And more than this, there is a strong theme that this life is characterized by security or safety. Everything that would rob us of our infants or of our health or of our sense of safety, all of those things will be taken away. There will be security. And there is this peace as well. This is a a peaceable kingdom. God says, the wolf and the lamb, they eat together. Somehow all the antagonism and hatred of this world will be taken away. And then in the end, there is this wonderful communion with God at the center of things. God says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. One commentator says that this presents God very much like a mother, both both attentive and available. And and this, of course, is going with the traditional gender roles, and it may be different in your home, but for the most part, it is the mother who is attentive. It is the mother who recognizes the cry in the nursery as coming from her child. Sometimes when she is nursing her very body reacts to the hearing of her baby's cry, attentive. You see, this is a description of God's attentiveness, a description of life as it was meant to be, people attentive to God, us attentive to Him, so that when He calls, we don't do what Adam and Eve did and hide in the bushes, hoping He'll look somewhere else, but when He calls, We come, and we gather at table, and we praise His holy name. This is how life is supposed to be lived. You know, as I thought about this this promise and reflected on this passage this week, the word that, that came to mind as I was reading through the promise was the word salvation. This promise, it describes salvation. 
And I know that we have narrowed that word where salvation, it's become something that we get when we're old and, and we die. But the truth is salvation is a, it is a big word. And this promise of the end, it reminds us of how big that word truly is. came upon a poem this week by Robert Graves. And in the poem, there's this little boy. And the boy says, I do not like the Sabbath, the soap suds and the starch, the troops of people who to salvation march. I do not like the Sabbath, the soap suds and the starch. And I thought our children or grandchildren probably wouldn't use the words soap suds and starch, but they might say, I don't like the Sabbath. I don't like the troops of solemn people. They're their pinched faces and their fingertips pressed together, marching on to salvation. The great theologian Reinhold Niebuhr said of salvation, it's not so much that salvation seems incredible, it just seems to so many people irrelevant. And yet these words from the prophet, they remind us how relevant it is, how big that word is, and how big the promise of God is. You know, so much of our life, so much of it, it is consumed with achieving the future that we create. And we do this not just when we're young, we do it our whole lives. We come up with a vision of what we want, what we want our life to look like, how we want it to play out, and then we do everything we can to make it happen. We work to create that future. And the truth is, it is exhausting. <laughs> it is exhausting to be in charge of your own future. Right? I'm guilty of that. It's exhausting. But more than this, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we can't have a real future unless God makes that future. I mean, we can have our our itsy-bitsy futures, a future that's concerned with going to a good school or having a successful family or a lucrative job or, or a great retirement, but a real future, which is what we really want, that's only possible, only possible if it, at the end of the corridor there is a door, and that door is only there if God makes it. And what we celebrate as Christians is that Christ made that door. He smashed through the gates of death and made the door as the new resurrection, as the very embodiment of all that we hope and long for. A new creation where all the former things will be forgotten and where creation reaches its fulfillment. And so the task for us, our, our task, it is to simply trust in this future, which honestly is one of the great spiritual struggles of our lives. Just to trust in this future, God's future, so that here and now we can rest and we can sing and dance and, 
and make room for God in our lives and make room for God in the lives of our neighbors. It's a wonderful promise, a promise that has been guaranteed in the resurrection that God will make a new heaven and a new earth. As God says to us this morning, be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. Amen.